Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Friday slash weekend edition of Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespris, and we've got a fun one for you today. We've got Alex Regla coming on. We'll be talking the Lakers and the Rockets, a series that begins later on today. We are knee-deep now into the uh, conference semifinal round, which continued yesterday with a an epic, an, an absolute epic of a ball game and an absolute, well, clunker. I have been known to refer to ball games like the Clippers-Denver game yesterday as a quote-unquote wet fart of a ball game. And it was probably in that uh, that neck of the woods. You guys know how we do things here on the show, so we'll continue that that uh, method today. First of all, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hoopball, this is a Hoopball presentation. Hoop-ball.com is the website. At Hoopball Fantasy, if you want to follow them on Twitter, at Hoopball Tweets, if you want to see all the other good stuff that they got going on. As per usual, uh, Mike Apatria and Santino Cocon running a brilliant DFS operation. Mike and Brenton are on the call today, DFS Today. That comes out the night before every time. Every day. It's seven days a week. DFS Today is seven days a week. It comes out the night before the actual card happens. So those guys, for instance, yesterday, Mike and Brenton broke down today's DFS card. Yesterday at about uh, 8 o'clock or so Pacific time. As soon as the slate is released, as soon as they see the prices, so you can start to build out your roster and kind of set yourself up for all the weird things that can take place over the course of the day. It's fantastic. It's the first to the buffet line, and there is absolutely something to be said for the value in that. So please do check out DFS today. It is one of our incredible up-and-coming podcasts here at HoopBall, and and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do. Uh, As far as what we're doing on this show, we will, of course, look at the games upcoming here tonight and tomorrow. We'll look at the Friday and Saturday cards because, you know, why the hell not? Um, we do have lines for all four of those upcoming games. Uh, then we'll talk to Alex, and then we'll give a quick recap of what happened yesterday. Although, boy, today I almost feel like, uh, well, <laughs> yesterday was was pretty incredible. Why, um, I might I might turn it around. I mean, look, you're going to have plenty of time to, to listen to this show before today's stuff. Ah, all right, all right, all right. All right, so... Um, what we'll do, because we're going to be talking to Alex largely about the Lakers and Rockets game, we'll postpone talking about that for now. We'll talk Milwaukee, Miami. Bucks are favored by five, total of 223 and a half. These lines, of course, courtesy of our friends over at mybookie.ag, a partner here for Hoop Ball in what we hope is a very long-term deal. 
Uh, really excited about all the things we got going on with mybookie.ag. Head on over there now. I, I said $45 is the minimum deposit. That's actually the minimum credit card deposit. If you're into Bitcoin, you can make a deposit of basically any amount you want over there. So if you wanted to go smaller, you can. If you want to go bigger on either type, you can. Use promo code HOOPBALL when you sign up. Uh, and you get a you unlock a 100% deposit match bonus. They've got all the sports. They've got prop bets. They've got presidential odds if you want to bet on that stuff. Of course, we're talking NBA wagering here on the podcast, so that's what we're largely going to be focusing on. But again, that's mybookie.ag. Join us. You bet, you win, they pay. It's as simple as that. Last ball game was a, a weird one with fouls at the end. The total did go over which I think we finally thought that would probably get to that point. It went over, and the teams didn't even shoot all that well, but there were a crap ton of free throws in that last ballgame. Uh, I'm inclined to think that the free throw number does come down in this one. Milwaukee did a slightly better job of not turning the basketball over. We said this before. They rebounded better. They just didn't shoot very well. They got creamed by 30 points at the three-point line, so whatever they did elsewhere, they got beat up on the other one. Uh, this, this series is going to be a slugfest, kind of like the other one in the Eastern Conference, and it's looking more and more like each game is going to come down to who executes better down the stretch. At some point, Milwaukee's going to get one. I don't know about laying five points at any point during this series. I mean, that that's a lot to lay in, in a series that it seems like every game could easily be decided by one possession. Uh, I look at that total, too, and I assume the free throw number's coming down, so I would look back at the under in this one. As much as I like Milwaukee to try to push the pace, they want both teams in that 112-115 range. I think this number is going to be pretty close today. You'll probably see slightly better shooting, and I would guess far fewer free throw attempts in this game. I'm sure each team is going to be focused on trying not to foul the other guy a little bit more, and the the officials probably got reprimanded behind the scenes, so you can't you can't call this many fouls. It makes the games unbearable. Um, and that's really my take on that particular game. I, I don't know how you lay a favorite in almost any game these days. I mean, Clippers-Denver yesterday, um, the reason to potentially look at the favorite, it was, a, it was a weird line. Like I said, it was a weird line, and I didn't want anything to do with it on, on that side. Um, and, you know, we found out why. I mean, the, the Denver was cooked. They had nothing in the tank. You wonder if Houston might have very little in the tank. Also, I've got to believe that they have a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe it's just the way the series went with Oklahoma City, or maybe it's just James Harden and his durability, but I, I got to think that they bounced back a little better than Denver did. Uh, Nuggets played right into the Clippers' hand and then didn't have the energy to guard anybody, and uh, so they, they got themselves beat to hell. Um, you know what? We'll, we'll just flip the order around on today's show. We're basically just going to save Rockets Lakers until uh, the end. So looking ahead towards the Saturday betting card, Toronto is a one and a half point favorite over Boston. Again, I don't know how you bet the side in Toronto, Boston. Every single one of these games is going to be decided by the last bucket. And wow, was yesterday's game ever decided by the last bucket. Total in that one is 213 and a half. Uh, it's, it's dropping like a boulder at this point. Uh, the teams actually shot a little bit better, but the pace also came way down, and there were almost no free throws in the entire game. Toronto attempted only 16 and only made nine free throws in yesterday's game. Uh, of course, the other way to look at it is, you know, could they could there possibly be fewer fouls called in the next game? That one got to 207, 
with no freebies, basically. What did Boston hit? They only took 21 in the game. So they only had like 15, 16 points at the foul line. Uh, and Toronto only had, what the hell did we just say? Nine? Is that what we said? Nine points at the free throw line in yesterday's game? That's crazy. That's insanely low considering, I mean, just we, we just talked about Mal- Milwaukee and Miami. That game had like 60 points at the free throw line. And this one had 20, hell did I just say? 25? So an easy jump there. Uh, I would look at the over in Boston, Toronto, looking towards the weekend if you're going to play anything in that ball game, and then the Clippers and the and the Nuggets. I have to assume Denver does a at least a marginal job of bouncing back. I also think there's a reasonable chance that that game goes over. Certainly, the game yesterday between Denver and LA would have gone over if Denver had anything in the tank at all. Clippers shot 57. percent They just they ran amuck. In that ball game, they did everything, anything and everything they wanted. No one on the Clippers was slowed down by a Nuggets defense that struggled for six of its seven games against Utah until everybody just ran out of gas. And so you come back in the next one, you're like, all right, I think the Nuggets will get something going on offense. Uh, I would assume Clippers probably score a couple points less. Can't imagine they shoot 57% again, but who knows against Denver. Uh, but Denver at 42%, that'll probably come up a little bit. So I would look at a potential over in that ball game. I would also p- think about Denver uh, putting up a better fight in Game 2, and those are my thoughts for the games on Saturday. Looking back to the results from yesterday, before we talk to Alex here, I'm trying to sort of speed through the non-Lakers-Rockets stuff today because I think that's going to be... I mean, that might be... Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, the, the Toronto-Boston series has been incredibly compelling, uh, but Lakers-Rockets is going to be a lot of fun. Toronto and Boston... One of the one of the most amazing games that I've seen in a long, long time, and certainly the finish dictates how you feel about the game as a whole, does it not? But who cares? Who cares if the ending clouded the way we felt about the game? There were long stretches in that game yesterday where you thought, yuck, Toronto, clang, Boston, outside of Kemba, clang. You know, Tatum wasn't very good. Marcus Smart had his reversion game. Kemba was fantastic for the Celtics, by the way. He, you knew he was going to wake up at some point. I thought he would wake up and then everybody else would be average, but he woke up and then everybody else kind of stunk besides Jalen Brown. And so that's why this game didn't go over the total. On the Toronto side, uh, the big difference is that Kyle Lowry was efficient for a ball game. He was great. Ananobi's been fantastic in this series. But to this point, Lowry, Siakam, and Van Vliet had all been putting up very low efficiency numbers. Well, Lowry woke up, 31 points on 23 shots. He shot over 50%. Marc Gasol was actually uh, uh, borderline involved in the ballgame, which was also a big thing for Toronto. As he goes, so go the Raptors. That was kind of the case in the playoffs last year as well. Uh, Freddie Van Vliet was a little bit better in this game, but he and Pascal Siakam still are leaving a lot to be desired on the uh, just efficiency standpoint. I mean, Van Vliet, five turnovers, took him 22 shots to get to 25 points again. Siakam, 16 points on 15 shots. He wasn't very good. You, you know, I keep looking at this series, and I'm sure you guys are thinking the same thing, which is if Toronto got anything from their superstar, well, superstar, their stars, they'd, they'd be winning these games. Well, they got just enough in this one. And I mean just enough. Uh, Freddie Van Vliet, a a stellar layup to tie the game with about 18 seconds left. Kemba Walker, a brilliant no-look pass under the basket to Daniel Tice for the go-ahead dunk 
with half a second left. And then the Raptors, I mean, I don't know. I have no idea how they pulled this thing off. Shades of Derek Fisher from Monera gone by. Kyle Lowry, a lob over the top of the defense to Ananobi, fading towards the three-point line along the left wing. And OG caught and fired in .4 seconds and canned it, turning a 103-101 deficit into a 104-103 Toronto victory, a, an amazing win and one that saved Toronto's season, at least temporarily. Uh, they did not cover the final line. They covered the opening line. This uh, Toronto opened at a pick'em. They ended at a at a two and a half point favorite, which had uh, clearly shifted too far. Total of two hundred and sixteen and a half was actually going up from an opening of about two hundred and fourteen on that side as well. Uh, still, I you know I still think the total over was the play in this one. If there were any free throws, that that's really the difference in the ball game. So as I look towards their next game, just as we said before. Um, I have no play on the side. I couldn't possibly, but uh, I do think at some point this line is going to over-adjust. It's all the way down to 213 and a half now. And at some point, they're going to have a game that trickles up and over. Uh, but that's not, a, that's not a wise way to make wagers. I think your, your, your best move in all of these is still live in-game betting. But what a, what a brilliant game that was. That was amazing. Toronto now trailing Boston two games to one. Clippers are up one game to none on the Denver Nuggets. And the series tonight, Houston and L.A. starting things off. Milwaukee down 2-0 to the Miami Heat. And their backs are up against the wall as well. Um, I think the Bucks actually win one. I don't, I don't think they're going out like this. They're, they're not, the lack of adjustments from Milwaukee has been unnerving. But they did get closer in that last ball game. They got closer. They slowed down Jimmy Butler. They still haven't figured out a way to slow down Goran Dragic. No one has in these playoffs. Uh, they can't let Miami put up 116 points. I mean, that's really what this comes down to. Even if you're playing fast, this Bucks' brilliant regular season defense it doesn't seem to know what to do with Miami's uh, floor spacing ability. And then offensively, you know, Giannis was able to get out in the open court a little bit in that game. Having Bledsoe back was super helpful. Um, but they, you know, Middleton's got to knock down some jumpers. You got to hit some jumpers. And that was kind of the case in that Toronto game as well. In the fourth quarter, Toronto was down a bunch and they hit a few tough shots. That's what these tight games come down to. Which team makes the slightly tougher shot? What we saw in the first game from Miami and Milwaukee and then Miami's entire first series against the Pacers was a team that was just getting slightly better shots every time down the floor. Uh, Toronto-Boston yesterday, those two teams were getting almost the same level of difficulty on shots. Toronto just made one extra one, effectively. Same deal with Miami-Milwaukee in Game 2. The shot selection was much closer in Game 2, and Miami just hit a couple of, well, both teams hit some late free throws. Miami just was a tiny, teeny, meeny, meeny. I mean, 116, 114, 230 points, and they're separated by two. That tells you I've evenly matched the game was. So I think the next one, if this is really a coin flip, you're going to see them go back and forth a little bit. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think Giannis wants to go out like that. Kelly Olynyk, Andre Iguodala, both questionable. That actually does hurt Miami a little bit. Those guys have been uh, pretty important for them. Iguodala, leadership, defense. Olynyk's been hitting three-pointers uh, at, a, at a wonderful clip. But they may go to a, a tighter rotation which means a lot of three-point shooting. And Milwaukee's going to have to figure out how they want to deal with this. You know, they're, they're not getting out on those guys. Uh, and, and Miami's shot the ball well from downtown, as per usual. But these things, they're, they're a pendulum, you know? Um, so keep tabs on that. I don't think that any, we're locking in any wagers here. But 
Um, we'll uh, we'll be live in game betting as per usual. And quickly here before we jump into our guest segment that I am very excited about a, a message. From our pals at Manscaped.com. Make sure to check out Manscaped.com and the Lawnmower 3.0. The Lawnmower. Pinch free, waterproof, built in LED technology. Took him 18 months. That's a year and a half of hard labor down to the Manscaped RD department to develop the 3.0 edition, the upgrade from the 2.0. It's fantastic. It really is a wonderful piece of equipment. Go check that out. Coupon code HoopBall20 to get 20% off and free shipping on your order, whatever it might be. Lawnmower. Uh, nose hair trimmer. They've got an actual blade set if you want to go the straight razor style. Uh, boxers, shaving mat, powders, oils, scents. They've got all the good stuff. Go check them out. Again, it's manscaped.com. Coupon code HOOPBALL20. I saved this game for the end of the podcast discussion because I knew we'd be able to do a little bit of a, a deeper dive on it. Uh, very excited to welcome to the pod for the first time Alex Regla. Alex working right now on a newsletter, throwdowns.substack.com. He's been, uh, you've been with the Lakers, SB Nation, Bleacher Report, Basketball Index. It's, I think, suffice to say, you know your Lakers basketball. Is that fair? I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, I've been a fan <laughs> of the Lakers uh, for a long time now. So, yeah, watch a lot of Lakers basketball. Uh, first of all, Hi, Alex. I probably should have said that first. Uh, Alex, you can follow on Twitter at Alex M. Regla, R-E-G-L-A on the last name. Um, I, I'm really excited about this. I, you know, as someone who's also a Laker fan doing a fantasy basketball podcast, you have to kind of be pragmatic. But now that it's the playoffs, fantasy basketball doesn't really matter anymore. I can finally sort of throw myself into it a little bit. And I know... The simple answer to this first question is, well, they haven't been in the playoffs in a long time, but I'm really excited about not only this series, but just the playoffs as a whole. Is that, you think, just a factor of 2020 finally giving us something interesting to watch, or is it is it the Lakers part of me? Are you feeling the same way about the playoffs right now? No, yeah, exactly. I think, like you mentioned, it's it's a combination of them not being in the playoffs for so long, and then just this whole setup and how literally every game feels like something crazy is happening. Like just last night we saw the OG shot for Toronto. We've seen multiple game sevens, like for the Lakers themselves, it's kind of been pretty uh, pedestrian. Like they took care of Portland in five games, probably could have swept them. And they've kind of just been off uh, waiting for this Houston OKC series to finish up. So on their end, it's kind of been like uninventive which is usually pretty rare for the Lakers. They're usually kind of in those headlines every day. So as a fan, I'm, it's it's kind of been pretty relaxing, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird to not have the Lakers be the primary villain in the in the storyline, isn't it? It is. Like, there's a joke, like, on Twitter that in both series, they've kind of been seen as the underdog, like, from a few media people. So, um. And they're always going to be the villain, regardless. And <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's like it's less of a villain. I think this team's not very dislikable. Like, like LeBron and AD are two players that are very popular. They have veterans on the team. They're not, they don't really have anyone that's outright, like, hateable. So I think for the first time, and, you know, this whole regular season's been without any kind of drama, again, which is so rare for this team. And they've kind of just handled their business. They play tough defense. They have two all-stars. I think it's one of the first times where this team has 
it's kind of hard to find faults with them. So you mentioned a couple of things that I want to follow up on. One uh, in the previous remark was that they've been just kind of waiting, and and you know we had the, uh, the there was the long there was the the layoff for the the strike. The Lakers did have a game after that, and then they've gone sort of back into waiting. Does that help or hurt them, or is it sort of neutral? Because on the flip side, Houston has been grinding through a seven-game series. Does that sort of balance out then, or do you think that leads to an advantage for either team? You know, it's kind of similar to the how Portland came into that first-round series, where the Lakers kind of entered the bubble very lackadaisical. They weren't really treating those eight lead-up games very seriously in that that kind of started some doubts with the team and how like the media, how they viewed them going into that first round series where Portland was essentially playing every game as if it was a playoff game. So they were in that playoff intensity from the onset where the Lakers kind of were sleepwalking a bit. So it's kind of similar here with Houston coming in right off fresh off that series with OKC. That was really tough. And the Lakers really didn't exert a ton of energy in that first round. But for a veteran team, I think that's beneficial for them. Like like I said, their core rotation is veterans, like outside of a guy like Caruso and Kyle Kuzma. These guys kind of value this rest and value this time off. And I think something I talked about on um, our Silver Screen and Roll podcast that we do Tuesdays is that this also gives guys like Frank Vogel and their coaching staff some extra time to kind of plan and scheme for Houston, which I thought they did fantastic against Damian Lillard and Portland. So... I'm interested to see how they uh, they tackle Westbrook and Harden. Yeah, how do you think they should? I think there's similar elements to how they guarded Damian Lillard. Like they kind of blitzed him on those pick and rolls um, often and try to get him. But essentially, just they don't want him to shoot threes. They want it, they want to funnel him towards the paint, and I think they want to do the same for Harden. They have, I think they're going to keep their two big lineup to start. I think they're going to keep McGee and AD out there till they start the games. And they're going to try to push Harden directly to the paint, try to push him towards those big trees out there. And then when he kicks it to the corners, they, they have to make the rotations. And I thought the rotations in the first round were excellent. So that that just has to continue. That has to be even better against Houston. It's a much better shooting team than Portland. Do you think the Lakers should... Now, I've seen this as one of the main discussion points on Twitter. Should they be uh, attempting to match Houston or should they be trying to impose their own will on Houston? Yeah, it's something that I think everybody's kind of debating. Like, obviously, you match up a little better when you have AD at center. But at the same time, I, I don't know how much that plays into Houston's hands because we've, we really only have one game sample of this Houston team as currently composed uh, versus the Lakers, and that was that regular season game uh, right when they got Covington after the, the trade deadline. And it was really the first time we saw Houston play this way and a lot of what happened that game was they, the Lakers tried to force post-ups with AD against Tucker and just isolate, isolate, isolate. And I think that's not the best way to attack this Houston defense. I think that kind of plays into their hand. So I, I kind of go back and forth between the bigs. I think OKC didn't do that great of a job utilizing Steven Adams. Like There was a lot of times where he was just kind of there doing nothing. And I think the Lakers do a lot better actions with their bigs. So kind of, they have more vertical threats than OKC does. Yeah, it so seems guys like, like McGee and AD. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to jump on you at all. It just to, to me watching that Oklahoma City series, it felt like you know they could get Stephen Adams close enough to the bucket to do a little bit of damage if only he had a little more offensive game. Which yes, you know AD AD has that. He has that element that Stephen Adams doesn't. 
Exactly. And like I said, that vertical uh, threat that they have with McGee and AD and even Dwight, that's something that OKC, OKC just doesn't have. And I think the Lakers specifically can just really crush them on the boards like other teams haven't been able to do. So I, I think the Lakers specifically are a team that could go big and for them to be able to exploit the weaknesses that everyone kind of assumed Houston would have by playing small. But again, if if Houston just completely shoots uh, like lights out and McGee just can't stay on the floor, I can see them go to a smaller lineup. But even when they go small, they're still big. <laughs> yeah, still still an epically large team. You just, <laughs> do you need two centers on the floor or like a center, three power forwards and, exactly. a, and a shooting guard? <laughs> Who... Um, all right, so diving into the details a tiny bit more because this is this is the stuff that tends to go a, a little bit over my head, but I know you're better at it than I am, and, and maybe you can simplify it in my brain. What do some of those plans most likely look like with a guy like James Harden? It seems like one of the things OKC did really well was they, they kind of kept him off the free throw line. Can the Lakers accomplish that? Because, you know, they don't have Lou Dort on their team. Yeah, I'm gonna. that's something I'm going to be interested in to see who in that starting lineup at least gets the that assignment early on. Um, I, I think Danny Green is going to be the guy who gets a bulk of that just mm. because he's a veteran. He kind of knows those crafty moves that Harden can do, kind of funnel <laughs> him without fouling. But it's so hard. Like, it, I think Harden's going to get his. I think that's always, like I mentioned on Twitter the other day, like these, there's no stopping these stars. It's just essentially making them take shots or get their points in the way you want them to. Like, he's still going to get 30. It's just a matter of is he shooting 10 threes a game and 15 free throws, or is he having to finish around AD and McGee? I think that's the key to the series is what hmm. type of shots he gets. What's the optimal, if you're the Lakers, and I know this isn't the Lakers podcast, but just looking at it from that perspective, if you're the Lakers, what is the optimal result? Is it, I, I'm assuming it's step back threes, but, you know, that's mm-hmm. just the eye test. I, yeah, I think it's a combination of step back threes, even though he's really good at that. Um, and floaters, <laughs> <Yeah>. I think. <laughs> that's right. Compared yeah, that's to most. Bit, yeah, I think floaters also, because he's really he has really great touch around the rim and kind of getting these floaters down. And I think forcing him to hit those floaters against like seven foot six wingspans and like just giant bodies in the paint, like that's got to be the key. Just get, uh, keep him off the foul line, right? Essentially, yeah. 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 Um, what do you do about the the Rockets camping in the corners? Is there a way to to do both to to keep Harden out of the paint and also contest a three? That's the thing. Like, it, whatever you take away, you're opening something else up, right? So, uh, obviously, Houston, like you said, they camp those guys out. Like Tucker is glued to the corner, like ninety five percent. Literally, never moves from that corner. <laughs> He, he definitely knows uh, what his skill set is and what they want from him. So he does that fantastic. Um, yeah, like I said, those rotations, once Harden collapses the defense and it's like a one-on-two, two-on-one situation, they have to be able to rotate quickly and also know who to rotate off of. Do they, do they give up those corner threes to Tucker and say, you know what, if you're going to beat us with P.J. Tucker shooting 10 corner threes, we'll live with it. So I think that's... That also goes into it, is who's shooting those threes and from where and how open. All these things kind of play a role. I'm going to flip over now to the Lakers' offensive side. You mentioned that ISO AD on P.J. Tucker might not be the best thing to run every single time down uh, against a defense that will switch everything. And I mean, yep. and I mean everything. What, what do the Lakers do? Because uh, you know, a lot of the things we saw them run against Portland involved LeBron 
uh, or Alex Caruso and Anthony Davis in a pick and roll. Yeah, so like you said, they switch everything. So that's going to be an adjustment is how the attack switches because they really haven't been great at that this year, even though they have two guys in LeBron and AD who you would kind of imagine would just dominate any type of switch. And LeBron, like towards after game one of that Portland series, he just took Gary Trent to the post, got the double team, either kicked it out to the open guy or a guy was cutting and they just dismantled Portland after game one. Just figured that out. Um, you can't really do that as much with Houston because they don't have a Gary Trent out there. They have a Cummington, they have a house, they have a Tucker, Harden. Like these guys are, again, Houston's small, but just theoretically small. They yeah, they're stout. Have, they're like tree trunks in there. There you go. Stout. I think stout's a perfect word. They're they're like strong as hell. Like they, you can't. <laughs> yeah. they're, all, they're all they're all like Russian nesting dolls versions of each other. <laughs> like Eric Gordon, stout Eric Gordon fits inside the PJ Tucker nesting doll. Exactly. So they kind of want you to assume that hey look pj tucker's not a center he's not seven foot tall but he's gonna bang with you down there he's gonna make it tough for you down there and i think that's something the lakers were kind of thrown off a bit uh in those in that previous matchup so i i'm curious to see how much pick and roll we see and to see how they target that pick and roll like they're gonna switch it like covington tucker i'm assuming we're gonna see lebron ad pick and roll and then covington tucker guarding that pick and roll and then switch so I want to see how AD, is he rolling to the basket? Do they try to go, like I said, that vertical game? I think the vertical game, how many dunks the Lakers get is going to be something to watch for. How many, like, actual dunk attempts, like, above the rim? Or if they're shooting jumpers. Like, if AD shooting eight jumpers a game, I know he was on fire against Portland. He shot, like, 75% for mid-range, which is just <laughs> unsustainable. But if he's doing that against Houston and he's taking those same shots, but they're just not falling and he's regressing... I think that plays into Houston's hand. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I All right, so let's, let's kind of stepping back now from more of a, a a broad look or well, you know what? I'm going to I'll postpone that question. I got I got a couple more for you and then we'll let you go. Um individually here. Game 1. We've talked about the the layoff and uh, layoff and what that might do to the Lakers versus Houston. Are they tired in any way? What do you think we actually see in this game? Tonight, Friday night, the the Lakers are a, a relatively heavy favorite, uh, relatively high total. Um, is this a game the Lakers win or lose? How do, how does this game play out? Do you think? Yeah, game ones. Like I said, I'm, there's nothing scarier to me than game one. Yeah, they're crazy. Side. Like I I think anything can happen in game one. Like we saw Portland beat the Lakers in game one. Um, Houston straight off this series. I'm not sure if they're going to be tired or if they're going to be more engaged. Like we saw Denver just get destroyed by the Clippers yesterday. <laughs> and a lot of that probably is because how taxing that series was with Utah. So I'm not sure how much of that also plays into Houston because so much of the offense relies on Harden, like usage-wise. Like, I have no idea where his legs are legs are at at this point. Um, he's so durable. It's crazy. Every time you think he's got nothing left in the tank. But then, you know, individually in the in the games, he does seem to tire you know, by, by mid and fourth quarter when he has yeah. to do all that lifting. So I'm inclined to think, and you know, I, I, I could be completely missed, you know, mis- disproven by whatever happens later on today, but that Jamal Murray post-game interview after they beat Utah, felt, it told the whole story to me where, where Scott Van Pelt was like, you guys ready for Thursday? He's like, oh my God, we played, th- <laughs> we played Thursday. Uh, and I can't, I wonder if Houston maybe everybody besides Russ, because he's only been back for a few of those games, that they're all thinking, 
Man, I wish we were playing Saturday instead of Friday. But you're right. Game ones are insane. All right, so forget game one then, because it's a roll of the dice in any direction. How does the series go? The Lakers are somehow, I think 538 actually has them as an underdog in this series. Um, are they actually the underdog? Because I watched these two teams for a regular season, and the Lakers were a better team than Houston this year. Yeah, and I think, again, it's so hard to gauge because this Houston is completely different than the Houston, I think, of old with the Clint Capella pick and roll. Like, they just don't do that anymore. This is, they've completely bought into their system that Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni have kind of always dreamt of. Like, this is their baby right here. Like, this is <laughs> their science experiment finally kind of come to life on the floor. So, I mean, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm picking the Lakers, and I'm not just saying that as someone who's biased. I just think the Lakers are a better team. But that's not saying that Houston doesn't have a chance. I think Houston's scary. I think there's definitely yeah. avenues that they can win the series. Like yeah. the math element alone with how many threes they take and make versus the Lakers who just haven't been able to shoot well since coming to Orlando. Even all year, they haven't been a great three-point shooting team. If those shooters get cold and AD is shooting a bunch of jumpers and they're kind of playing into Houston's game and then guys catch fire for Houston, like Eric Gordon and Daniel House just shoot out of their mind, like, Houston could win this series. I'm, I just don't know how likely that is in a seven-game series. Alex, thanks a bunch, my man. This was great. Can we do this again? Of course, man. Thank you for having me on. He is Alex Regla. Alex M. Regla on Twitter, R-E-G-L-A. Give him a follow immediately. Check out throwdowns.substack.com, the newsletter. Lakers expert. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Dan. All right, you guys had to indulge me there for a minute while I got my Lakers fix. I appreciate uh, Alex coming on. He is He's done so many awesome... You guys, really, you got to follow him on Twitter. I A lot of the things I say on this podcast that involve Lakers schemes come from things that Alex has done. He's just, he's he is the grinder, and the rest of us are like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Again, he's at Alex M. Regla on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, you guys got to indulge me here as I, I, I got to talk a little bit more, more about the Lakers and just Lakers Rockets is a really interesting matchup because you've got on one side, uh, a Rockets team that, and by the way, I don't want to take anything away from what LeBron is doing right now because LeBron's game has actually sort of evolved in a Rockets-esque manner. He has no real mid-range anymore either. I think every shot he took in a first-round series against Portland was either in the paint or beyond the three-point line. I, I don't think he took a single mid-range shot in that entire series. It was something like 80 field goal attempts, and all of them were uh, of the the sort of analytics mode that you get out of D'Antoni and uh, and the Rockets. So, yes, you know, some players on the Lakers do abide by that right now, but on the Rockets' side, you're bombing three-pointers, you're trying to get to the free-throw line. On the Lakers' side, you have the best field goal percent shooting team in the NBA, a team that just gets really good looks. They are big, they get closer to the rim, but they don't space the floor all that well. The the three-point shooters, the Lakers need them to be good. Um, you know, in that series against Portland, when KCP started hitting a couple, that that really changed what the Blazers were able to do in terms of, you know, who they were sagging off. It doesn't take a lot of room for LeBron and Anthony Davis to start carving teams up, just a couple of guys being even moderately dangerous from beyond the three-point line changed that first series for the Lakers, but now they run into sort of a different beast in that, you know, Portland had big men 
And the Lakers just ran those big men into the ground. You know, Yusuf Nurkic, Hassan Whiteside, these are not supposed to be bad big guys, but AD and JaVale and Dwight and LeBron, they killed them. They absolutely murdered them. Houston doesn't have it. So it's it's really weird. Um, you know, and Nurk and Hassan Whiteside, those are not big men that get pushed around either. It's not like these are spindly big guys that the Lakers were able to move off their spot. These are strong dudes. I, I happen to think... And maybe I'm insane. Uh, I happen to think Dwight Howard has an interesting role in this series because he's going to come in there uh, and just knock people around. He's going to be so much bigger than anyone else on the floor that, you know, in that second unit, if if somebody's not doing a great job of boxing out, uh, I, I look at that Rockets roster and the only player I trust to keep Dwight off the boards is P.J. Tucker. There's no one else on that team that can even come close just to the strength it's going to take to keep Dwight away from the rim. Like, he'll he'll pull the head off of some of those other dudes. And where a guy like JaVale McGee is actually more useful in terms of uh, rim protection and how much ground he can cover on defense and, and what he can do offensively, just on the glass, the Lakers should annihilate the Rockets in this series. I mean, that like, box out all you want. LeBron, Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee, or Dwight Howard coming at the rim for an offensive rebound. There's only one P.J. Tucker on the other side. And, you know, Rob Covington has has stepped up his rebounding, and Jeff Green has had to step up his rebounding. But, like, you're telling me that James Harden is going to be expending his energy boxing out on LeBron? Is that how this is going to be? That's not going to be good for his legs in the in the second half of these ball games. So we shall see. Uh, I don't know what the Lakers are going to do defensively. Uh, you know, the, one of the things that Oklahoma City had, just from a personnel standpoint, the Lakers don't is more speed. OKC was faster. Lakers are bigger. Harden's going to find a way to get by the defense somehow. I, you know, I don't want the Lakers are are going to do. They can they can try to fight over things. He's going to try to get switches and get Javale on him. Um, We'll see how it goes. I'm really, I'm super, super into this series. I can't wait for that thing to get going. Uh, so once again, big thank you to Alex Regula. We'll talk to him soon, I hope. I mean, I guess it depends on whether the Lakers continue. Even if they don't, we'll certainly talk to Alex going into next season at the very latest um, post-free agency. We can get his thoughts on uh, what the different team breakdowns are going to be. Always good to talk to someone who does a lot of podcast work as well. It makes, <laughs> makes my job super simple. I am Dan Baspers, folks. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, can't wait to talk to you guys on Monday. See how all these crazy games go Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're having a blast here over at Fantasy NBA Today, which for, you know, the foreseeable future isn't a fantasy show. Start calling ourselves the fantasy show that's not a fantasy show until they tell us when the hell next season begins. Enjoy the playoffs. We'll talk to you soon. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.